God, we just come to you and we, uh, God, we confess at times that some of us feel distracted and far off and just going through the motions and other of us, others of us show up here today and God, we, we're grateful and we're filled of worship for you and adoration for you and things are going well. As we all gather in this room, here's what we know, regardless of how we're feeling, God, you're worthy of worship. God, you're worthy of our attention, and even if our hearts don't always feel it, and sometimes they do, God, you're worthy of our worship, so we praise you today. God, we all say we ask, we ask that you take this time and you would use it. God, I'm asking you would help me to teach. God, I'm asking you would help all of us to listen, and God, what we want more than anything else is we just want to hear from you. We, we want to encounter you through your word and hear what you would say to us and, and obey you and just see all the goodness and truth and value of who you are and, and also just be reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ. God, I, I pray that wouldn't be old to us or routine. And I, I'm praying that you would work in our hearts in a way that only is explained if you really are real and are present. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone, you may be seated. Um, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say Merry Christmas or not. I got to be honest, I'm waiting a week, even though I really wanted to say it today, even though I technically just said it, but it's coming, Merry Christmas is coming, so you need to brace yourself for it, and you're going to have to say it back to me whenever it's game time for that. uh, Before I jump into our sermon series on the Psalms again, I want to run over a few things that are happening right now, Um, and right after Thanksgiving, we really got to start communicating this stuff to you guys because we're planning outreaches in our community uh, over the next several weeks. I want to make sure as many people are aware of it so you're not caught off guard. Some of it has been, um, I forget how long ago it was now, earlier this fall, we decided that we were going to focus on several areas that we were going to try to figure out how to, to serve and to reach in our city. We were looking at our campus and this neighborhood, this block and our city and around the world. So we started canvassing and trying to build initial contact and relationships that are going on. And one of the things that we found is a boys and girls club just down the road here in the housing authority, which um, it's just a, it's a secular group that works with underprivileged kids and works with these teens that might be in trouble and things like that. And so uh, we found out they're doing a Christmas gift giveaway thing. So we're gathering presents for the I guess we started last week, and that goes until Wednesday, December 19th. You can, you can drop the presents off in the bins in the main foyer over here on the side. Uh, I think they're just $10 gifts. The, the other thing we decided to do is we want to collect hams and give them to all the houses in the Tallahassee Housing Authority. Now, uh, there's no one for us to connect with this. We're just going to literally go knock on the door and give them a ham. I mean, it's just a gift from our church to them saying, we love you, we hope you have a a great Christmas. We hope you enjoy that ham. Here's what that means. Uh, we need a lot of hams. I think it's like 110 hams is what we need. And so the date that we're doing that is going to be December 13th. Um, we'll be collecting hams in that afternoon. Whoever wants to come and help hand them out, we'll all go down there and give away all the hams until they're gone. Uh, and if no one's there, we're not going to leave it on the front porch. We'll find someone to give the hams to. Uh, we're not dumb enough to leave a ham outside in the middle of Florida Christmas, no matter how cold it may be, it's not that cold. So listen, I'm really excited about these things. There are a few other things that we're talking about and working on right now. And so church, here's one of the things I know COVID is happening right now. Um, I know it's frustrating. We're trying to figure out how to do Thanksgiving and Christmas and sort through all of that and sort through what's real and what's puffed up out of control. I I get that. But one of the things that we know is this, regardless of what's happening with COVID, we, we are still a church that exists to glorify God and to reach our neighbors. 
And so we're going to figure out ways we can do it, even in the midst of whatever pandemic is happening. And so I hope that this Christmas season, we take advantage of a way to reach out and serve our neighbors. So just uh, be paying attention to emails and announcements we would give from the pulpit for collecting hams December 13th and giving them away. Uh, we're not going to collect them for a week. We, we want to get them and give them because keeping hams cold and in the right spot, I, I, we just don't want to do that for three or four weeks. So uh, December 13th, that's happening. And then next Sunday is the last Sunday for the Christmas gifts for Boys and Girls Club. If you have questions, uh, now is not the time to ask them. You can come and find me or Tommy or someone afterwards, and we'll give you as much details as we can about that stuff. Okay, that's, that's the end of Pfizer's announcement time. So we're going to jump into, quite frankly, just into Psalm chapter 3. I'm not going to do a lot of intro uh, apart from this. It, we're, we're spending a couple weeks in the Psalms. The, the Psalms are really emotionally raw for me. I, I, now, you may read them and it may feel boring to you, but if you actually engage what's happening, there is like this serious rub where real life is hitting faith. And it causes this rub and this frustration a lot of times in the Psalms where, where as the Psalms is writing, they are very either really excited or they're really mad and ticked off or they're scared or they're freaked out or they're just exhausted. Like it's, it's completely emotional. And when you read it, you watch the psalmist wrestle with what they're feeling and experiencing and what they know is supposed to be true about God. And as those things happen, it creates this, this almost this disconnect, and you watch them process all of it. It's, it's not sterile. It's not theoretical. It's not in their head. The Psalms are written in real, like the real nitty-gritty of life. It's not this, this uh, ivory tower person that's sitting away all by themselves, that hasn't experienced any of the hardships of life, and they're writing these this poetry about who God is that's disconnected from reality. It's not that. It's someone who's literally experiencing life and the grit and frustration of life is causing them to look at who God is and change the way they respond. It's, now, I find the Psalms just deeply moving. Some of them I don't get, but, but some of them are deeply moving. And the Psalm today, I find it very, very gritty. Um, let, let me go ahead and show you why. Here's what we're going to jump right in, and we're going to start at Psalm 3, verse 0. Oh, you didn't think I was, there was a verse 0, did you? It's, it's 3, 0. At, at the beginning of Psalms, some of them, there's a little, like, line that's not actually part of the psalm, but it gives you some of the background. Sometimes it gives instructions for how they're supposed to play the music or whatever. But, but here's Psalm 3, 0. Uh, it's not really 0. I don't know what it is, but let's call it 3, 0. It says this. It says, it's a psalm of David. So in other words, David wrote this. Um, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, now, this is just giving you a quick background. And in case you don't know who David is and what's kind of going on, let, let me just tell you this. David is this king. Most of you probably know about David and Goliath. If you don't know about David and Goliath, I, I can't help you. I mean, that's just, that's basic. That's just basic. Everyone knows about David and Goliath. You even talk about it in football games. It's David versus Goliath. But very few people know about David and Absalom. Let me just summarize his life for you. It's, if you want to look it up later, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 15 through 18 and a little bit more after that. But here's David. He's this awesome king. He's become king. He's gone through some really difficult things in life. He's also killed some giants and done some amazing things. And near the end of David's life, he actually messed up big time. Not like a little mess up. Like we're talking big time mess up. He had an affair. 
He covered it up by murdering the husband. He, he, he did a couple really big no-nos, okay? In case you're wondering, affairs, murder, and cover-ups are, are very big on the naughty list, all right? We're talking Christmas now. You're definitely getting coal if you do those three things this year from Santa. You don't get to do that, right? So David is supposed to be this godly king that knows and loves God, who's, who's a man after God's own heart, does three horrible, horrible things. And and quickly after that, David does repent, but there's a lot of consequences for his bad choices, and his life begins to unravel. And, and one of the things that happened is his family gets into just a complete wreck. And I'm not going to get into the story of Amnon and Tamar, but basically it's a really dysfunctional family situation. And one of his sons, Absalom, kills another one of his sons for a a fair reason I'm going to go ahead and say that, but if you don't know it, you're going to have to look it up yourself. You have to do some research. So here's Absalom, and he kills one of David's sons, and then he runs away, and David finally brings Absalom back. And uh, as, David come, as Absalom comes back, he gets forgiven, and then here's what happens. Uh, Absalom is really kind of a ticked-off, bratty young boy. Okay, he's kind of a diva. He's got this hair thing going on where I, I don't know what his deal was, but he had long hair and not like cool long hair, like really awkward long. It talks about weighing it. I don't know what that is, but his hair was apparently this amazing thing. I'm not jealous. I just am saying it ticks me off that he has awesome hair, long flowing locks and like a mane. And he, he's standing at the gates. People come to see David and he He's winning the hearts of all the people of Israel. He's being kind to them. He's, he's smooth and he's articulate and he's friendly and he's accessible. And these people begin to fall in love with Absalom. But Absalom's got this dark side to him that, that even though he looks all good and pretty on the outside and seems like he could be a great king, he's got evil and hate in his life. And what he ends up doing is he ends up leading a rebellion against his father, King David. And it's not a little rebellion. It's huge. Almost all of Israel follows Absalom. They don't want David anymore. Like, imagine this as your David. Like, you've been through all these awful things. You've done these great battles. Yeah, you've done some big boo-boos. Okay, you've done some major mistakes in your life. But now all the people of Israel, they don't want you as king anymore. They're following your son who doesn't want you as king anymore. And you have to pack up and you have to leave town. And, and that's what David is writing about here in Psalm chapter 3. It's when he had to run away from Absalom. And here's what David doesn't know. He doesn't know if he's going to make it back. He doesn't know if he's going to be killed. All he knows is this, is that everything around him is crumbling down. And, and this is what David writes, either while this is happening or as he thinks back about what happened during that time. And look at how he describes it. Psalm chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. It says, Oh Lord, how many are my foes? I mean, many are rising against me. Like here's David and he's saying, listen, when, I, when I'm thinking about that, I'm looking around and I'm, I'm shocked at how many people don't like me. Not just don't like me, they hate me. There's thousands and thousands of people that are rising up against me. Like he's basically saying, God, this isn't good. Like I'm, I'm in serious trouble right here. Like there, there's all these people that they just don't want to run me out of town. They want to kill me. They want to wipe out my family and put my rebellious son on the throne. They're rejecting me. They hate me. Like, like I want you to picture the stress that David is in as he leaves the city of Jerusalem. And the thing he's looking around is saying, there are a whole lot of people that want to kill me right now. Like there's a lot. He's like, God, there's, 
Like, this is really big. This isn't 10 or 20. This is overwhelming to me. You ever felt that before? You ever felt that overwhelmed feeling where it felt like everything and everyone was against you? Maybe not like what David is feeling right here. But, but do you ever get that overwhelmed feeling like, God, I, this is too much. When I look around at all the struggles that I've got or all the health issues or all the financial concerns or all the marriage problems or all the problems with my kids, whatever it is, God, it feels like it's just getting huge. It's, it's, it's a lot, God. We're in trouble here. I don't, I don't know how you respond when you feel that type of stress. I think uh, some people respond different. Some people just totally quit. I don't know if, I don't, no one, don't raise your hand if you're a quitter. I don't, I don't want you to raise your hand. But, but if you ever got to the point where you just, some people just say, you know what, this is just too much. I just give up, whatever. Like, I don't care. I'm just going to go ahead and suffer it. Like, there's nothing I can do. It's a complete quit. When things get really hard, there's some people that they just bail immediately. Like, I'm just, I'm going to peace out. Or they try to escape and go to where the grass is greener. Like, things get too hard at work or things to get too hard in the marriage or things get too hard. You just pack up and go. It's escapism. Or maybe some people, they try to pretend like everything's fine, right? They're the people that minimize everything. I, I don't know which one is you. But things, you know, it's not that bad. Just everyone calm down. Nobody panic. It's just, it's small. It's small, right? Like, maybe you're a minimizer or, or maybe you're a, a, a spin doctor, uh, I don't know how many politicians are in the house, but this is what politicians do, right? Like, no, 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 you think it's bad, it's really good. Like, I, they know how to spin everything to either bounce off them and go to someone else or look look over here, don't, don't look at this, look over here. Like, you're a spin doctor. Instead of minimizing, you just distract from it or steer away from it. Uh, hopefully, that's not how you do business, but that's another story. Uh, some people are control people. You, you turn into a control freak and you plan everything, like, there's a big problem, so here's what I'm going to do. I take control of it all. Like every little detail, I plan and I plan and I plan and I control. And that's the way we're going to fix this overwhelming problem. With my intellect, with my plan, with my ingenuity, my plan to deal with this is me. Now, I don't know which one you are. And there's probably 50 other ways to deal with anxiety and stress. If you really want to know how you deal with this, ask your spouse. But don't ask if you don't want to know. All right, uh, and don't please don't fight about this over lunch, okay? Don't say, hey, you know, do you think I'm the spin doctor? Like, no, you're an escapist, and no, I'm not. Don't do that. That's gonna, that's not in this psalm. This is not a marriage counseling psalm. This is a how to deal when things are overwhelming psalm. Like, so the question I'm asking is, when you feel that overwhelming stress, how do you respond? I, I, I know what it is for me at times. Like, uh, I, I'll shift into a control thing real quick. I'll actually, anger is my default emotion in that moment. When things feel overwhelmed, I get really ticked off because it shouldn't be this way and other people should carry more weight or something like that, right? Like that's, that's my default thing. That may be too much info for you, but if it is, well, get over it because I just shared it. It's too late now. But, but there's more here that's happening with David than just overwhelming stuff. He's not just saying, God, I have a lot of enemies. He's also saying, there's an accusation that they're making about me. Look at verse 2. It's not just overwhelming and stressful. It's verse 2. He says this, many are saying of my soul. They're saying something about me, about my person, about the inner part of me. It says this, there is no salvation for him in God. 
Now, now, when you first read that, you might be thinking, man, he's got all these Philistines and all these people around him that say, you know what, his God can't really save. That's not who's saying this. Remember, this is Absalom, this is the people of Israel. Here's what they're saying. God doesn't like David anymore. He, God's not going to help him. He's done too much bad stuff. You ever get there when things get overwhelming? Like, no one has to say it to you. You can almost default there all by yourself. I know why this is happening, because I did this, or I did this, or I thought this, or in my heart I felt this. And then what ends up happening for us is there becomes to be this guilt that piles on, on top of the stress and anxiety, that this is all my fault because God doesn't love me. Think about David for a moment. Think about how that accusation would have hit him, right? They're saying, God doesn't, God, God's not going to help David. And David's probably thinking, they might be right. Let me give you a list of reasons why God might not help Bathsheba. Uriah. Like I, I took that man's wife and then... I tried to cover it up and have him sleep with her, but he wouldn't do it because he had more character than me. So then I had him murdered on the battlefield. Then I married her. So I would cover it up, and it was like my baby. Or, or I didn't tell you all this, but with Amnon and Tamar, he had a son that raped his daughter. And he didn't do anything about it. Then Absalom murdered his son that raped his sister, right? And he still didn't do anything about it. So, so think about the accusations that David can rightly own. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. I, I'm a really bad parent. We don't like to hear that about David, but let's be honest. That's, David was not loved because of his performance. <laughs> And in that moment, I, I'm not sure David wasn't sure that it was true because as he's leaving the city of Jerusalem, you see him say things like, man, if, if God wants, he might bring me back, but he might not bring me back here. He's thinking this could be the end. And I, I'm, I'm curious to how you deal with those accusations as they pop up. I don't know which ones stick to you the worst. Maybe it's parenting mistakes. Maybe it's past failed marriages. Maybe it's things that you've thought or looked at. I mean, there's a million different things that all of us can take ownership of, right? And right in the middle of that stressful moment, there's this lie. There's this lie that will be whispered into our hearts. It's not the lie that God's cleaning you and purging you because he loves you. It's the lie that you really tick God off. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care for you. He's done with you. Listen, I want to remind you of the gospel. I can't wait to get there. It's, it's too long. I want to remind you of this now. That's, this is the good news of Jesus, that regardless of your performance, regardless of your past, God loved you and sent his son to die on the cross for you and me. Not because we were good, but because we were bad because we were broken and not perfect, because we were hidden or rebellious, whatever you want to call it, we were all of those things. And he loved us. And he sent his son to die for us, not because he was done with us, but because he wanted to save us and clean us and bring us back to himself. 
We don't have to earn it. We don't keep it. He gives it. That's the good news. And what can happen for us in the middle of stress or tragedy or trials or anxiety, whatever's welling up around you, you can begin to believe the lie that God doesn't love you. God doesn't care. God's mad at you. I think David had a whole lot of reasons to believe this. What's interesting here, I just want to, this is a little side note. Right after that, you see this word, Selah, or Selah, or however you say that. It's a different language, so let's just go with Selah. He says, Selah. That's this weird little term. No one really knows what it means, but it looks like it's a musician term for like a musical interlude. In other words, they sing the verse, and then I guess that's when the guitar riff is happening. I don't know. Like the, uh, and the point I think is supposed to happen is you see the words, and then the instruments are playing, and you think about the words that you just sang or the words that you just heard. It's not just listen to the cool music. It's that that music goes in the background while I'm thinking about what I just read. So every time you see that in the Psalms, hit pause and chew on what was just said. That's what he's saying. Listen, he's saying, think about this. I'm, I'm in an awful situation. And it seems like God doesn't care about me anymore. And it seems like it's right. He probably shouldn't because I'm really bad. Just chew on that for a moment. So let's see how David deals with this. And here's what I love. Look at verse three. The very next word is, but you. It's, I love this conjunction. I don't love it when in an argument, but I love it when God steps in and I have this awful situation. I can't minimize. I can't control. I can't weasel out of. I've got these accusations that feel like they're true. There's nothing I can do about it. And then, but you, but God steps in and he, he, he pivots and he turns it. Now, I want you to see how David responds here. He doesn't plan. He doesn't scheme. He, he just does this. He says this, but you, O Lord, and look at where his focus shifts. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. Like in this moment, this, this and don't think this happens real quick. This is probably a slow hours, maybe all afternoon and evening process that David is going through. But as he shifts to the overwhelming struggle and all the accusations, the moment that it begins to turn for David is when he gets his eyes off of his situation and his enemies and his performance, and he turns his eyes and his focus up to the person and character of God. He Somehow in David's mind, he begins to rehearse things about what he knows is true about the character of God. And a few of them stand out to him. He says, you know, you know what God is? He's, he's a shield. He, he's a protector. This is what he does. Like, I know that God is a shield. He's, he's told me that he's a shield. I've seen him be a shield. Man, he's a shield. And he's a shield about me. Not because I'm good, but because he, that's who he, that's what he does. He's a good father, so he's a shield. And he said, I'm like a son to him, so he's going to set up a shield around me to protect me. That's who God is. He's a protection. He protects his people. And he says this, he's, he's my glory. That's a weird phrase. It's, um, I think the idea that he's saying is I serve God and just being close to him is like the thing that I can boast about. It's uh, the only example I could think of it is this. I, 
I don't know why I went to this. This is where my brain was at when I was writing this. I just thought, just imagine if Denzel Washington, I don't know why I picked Denzel Washington, probably because he's awesome, but I don't want to get into that. If Denzel Washington called me up and said, listen, Fias, I need, uh, I need you to, ask, I don't know why he would call me. I don't even know if he has his cell phone. If he, Denzel, you can call if you're watching online. I don't mind this. Um, but if he called me and said, listen, I, I just need some help. I, I, I need to have a weekly meeting with you, talk through my schedule, maybe help you organize my week. I, I'd really be awful at that, but listen, I would go for it. But listen, Denzel, deal. I, will, I would love just to be the guy that helped manage your calendar, bro. Like that, that, That's great. I love this. This is awesome. You're a beautiful man. Now it's awkward. I don't want to go into this anymore. But Denzel's awesome, man. His movies are great. He's an awesome dude. And now I get to be the guy that talks to Denzel Washington every single week. And I know what he's doing. And if you want to talk to Denzel, you come through Fias because I got his Outlook calendar. And I'm the one that puts it on there, right? Like, like listen, there's a moment that I don't feel awesome. But, but the thing I brag about is, no, listen, I know Denzel. <laughs> I, I got his internet passwords, man. Like me and Denzel, like we're like that. <laughs> like what ends up happening is at that part, people are like, dude, he knows Denzel. And the thing that I'm able to boast in, my glory is not in myself. My glory is in the person I know and I'm close with. Maybe you don't like Denzel. You're a loser, okay? Hurts my feelings. He's my friend. We've already been over this. But here's Denzel, man. And, and, and here's what David's saying. He's saying, listen, God is my glory. Like, like yeah, he's my shield. But the reality is, like, I'm nothing. I, I just get to be next to him. And, and I just get the credit that's bouncing off of his awesomeness. I, I, the thing I get to brag about is I know him. And I get to be close to him. And that's enough. My boast is not in my kingship. My boast is not in my performance. My, my boast is not in the fact that I killed Goliath. My, my glory is I get to be near him. Like, listen, so in this moment of stress and anxiety, David begins to calm himself and settle himself by saying, God's my shield and, man, God's my treasure. He, he's the thing I get to boast in. And whatever he does, man, if he gets more glory by me dying, then great, bring it. He'd be perfectly just if he wiped me out. And he'd be perfectly gracious if he didn't. Then he also says this, that God is the lifter of his face. See that there? And uh, the lifter of my head. So the picture here is a person, who, the exact opposite of your head being lifted is that your head is down and dejected in shame or in just agony. And so he's saying, listen, I'm, God is the, he's the lifter of my head. My head is down. I'm just, I'm moping. I don't know who walks like, I'm just, I'm going through life like this. And, and every time I do that, here's who God is. He grabs my head and he lifts it up. I don't have to stick my head down in shame. He, he lifts it up and looks me in the eye. He lifts me up and encourages me after a loss and a defeat. Listen, God is an encourager. He, yeah, he's a shield. Yeah, he's my treasure. But he also, he loves to encourage his people. 
Listen, you're feeling down and you're dejected today or, or guilty. Listen, you need to hear the good news about Jesus. It's not just that he died on the cross for your sins. It's that he wants to encourage you and make you happy. He wants you not just to know that he loves you. He wants you to feel that love regardless of your performance. Man, I don't know. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever had God do that for you? That you just felt... And there was something that he did in you that he lifted up your head. Man, all of a sudden, David's feeling a little bit better now, right? Now, when I remember that God is my treasure and he's my encourager and he's my shield, things feel a whole lot better. Listen, here's why that's important to you. When things get overwhelming or stressful or you feel the accusations pile up to shift out of it, you need to get your focus on who God is. And your heart won't want to go there. But you drag it there, kicking and screaming. And you, uh, th- this is what it looks like for me. Like I, if I have those moments and I'm stressed about whatever, you can fill in the blank. I have a million things to be stressed about, right? And, and it's that moment I'm having trouble sleeping and I'm going through this problem in my head and then I, I begin to say, okay, no, wait, no, God is strong. He's got this. It's not up to me. It's up to him. Yeah, I'm going to work hard, but all of it is really up to him, not on my effort. But you know what my heart keeps doing? Snapping back to the problem, right? And I've got to literally, I've got to literally hold myself there and stare at who he is until my heart rests. This is not an easy like, okay, worries are gone. <laughs> No, it's, this is like a fight. I don't want you to hear this easy like, oh, well, duh. You just think about God and everything fizzles away. No, man, your heart will, will scream and try to run back to your anxiety. And what we do is by faith, we keep dragging it saying, God, I need to keep my heart focused on you. I need you to help me. And you grab that thought, you headlock it, and you drag it over to who God is. Right, that you got to man up this thing. You UFC your brain, okay? If you don't know what UFC is, it's, it's a really savage type of fighting, okay? So you just, you're going to grapple with it. It's, it's not fake wrestling. It's real close, hand-to-hand combat. Like every hit feels like it's going to knock you out, but you keep swinging until you get those thoughts under control and focused on who God is. Here's why else this is important for you. Hey, listen, If you don't go deep into God now when things are good, I'm telling you when the anxiety hits, you aren't going to know what God is like to actually help you fight that fight. Does that make sense? So if all you know about God is these nice little shallow, thin things about him, just thin and there's no depth to it, when the trials really hit, when the enemies really rise up, you you got nothing to grab onto, man. You, You haven't been training for this fight. You're weak and you're flabby. Like a certain person I know that's standing on the stage right now. And if I got into a UFC ring right now with a UFC fighter, I promise you, it's not, I mean, it might be funny for you to watch, but it's not going to be pretty. And it's going to be quick. And something's going to break on my person. All right? Probably multiple bones are going to break on my person. Why? Listen, I'm not ready. I'm not in fighting shape. Like, I, I, I need to fix my diet. I need to work out. I need to get mean, right? That is not what I got right now. And if, if you're skimming along right now in shallowness and weakness, you're not digging in the deep things of who God is and his word. You're not reading deep things like theologies and chewing on who he is. If you're not doing that now, when you have to step into the ring and you're not going to get a warning when you have to step into the ring, 
you're going to get whooped. But David, man, David's the same dude that's writing Psalms that says, man, remember what he said in Psalm chapter 1, verse 2 there? He said, it's his delight morning and night. In his law, he meditates day and night. This dude's been doing the reps, man. He's been working out, having the diet, chewing deeply on who God is. So when the real war happened, he was ready to go. And it still wasn't easy. But he had something to grab onto. You cannot cannot survive trials if you're shallow today. You won't survive tomorrow's trials. You got to go deep today, church. So so don't get shanghaied by that stuff. But there's more here. Verse 4. Now this one... Took me a little while to wrestle with. It says this. It says, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I wrestled back and forth with that. As I started digging into the original language, I think it's probably better translated as, uh, as this. I need to find what I wrote here. It's basically every time I called on the Lord, he answered me from his holy hill. Here's what David is saying. He's not just saying, hey, I thought about who God is. He said, I thought about the ways God was faithful in the past. Every time I called on him, he's answered. He, he, he starts recounting the faithfulness of God. He says, you know what I remember? I remember when I was a shepherd and that lion came after that sheep and God helped. And I remember when that bear, that was crazy, that bear came and took that sheep and he helped. And I remember when that massive dude named Goliath was on that field and I was just some little boy. And dude, he helped me kill that giant. And I remember when I had to run from Saul for years and years and years. And there were times he was right on my heel. And every time he helped. I remember all the battles and all the fights and all the close calls and all the late nights and all the struggles and all the anxieties. And every single time that I called on him, man, he showed up over and over and over and over and over again. You know how you fight turmoil? It's not just getting your focus on who God is. It's remembering God's faithfulness in the past. You know what that does for you? It causes you to have this faith that if he's been faithful every time before, I think he'll be faithful this time too. Right? It's not that you just rest and say, look at my past successes. You're, you're saying, no, look at his character and his performance. He's batting a thousand percent. Man, I'm not worried about this. I mean, I'm worried, but I'm not worried like that. Like, I, I trust him. So here's David, and here's the shift for David. There's trouble, there's anxiety around him. He looks at who God is, and he remembers God's past faithfulness. So then what happens? Look at the shift that happens for David. Verse 5, I lay down and slept. <laughs> like, listen, I want you to think about the situation. David is out. All of Israel, is an entire country is rising against him. He's got a small band of followers with his family. He's out in the middle of the wilderness. And he knows that if his son grabs an army and comes, he's probably dead. He knows that if anyone in his camp that's close to him just says, you know, it would be easier for me if I snuck in while David was asleep, killed him and snuck out, everything goes bye-bye. Imagine sleeping when that's going on. I'm curious, in the last two or three weeks, what things kept you awake at night? And here's David with that situation saying, after I remembered who God is and I remember what God has done, 
Bro, I slept. So I want you to hear this. Sleep is a gift from God. And when, you, when your heart gets calmed by trusting in who God is and what he's done, the gift you get is rest. Listen, David, David didn't have any drugs to take. He didn't have any melatonin or whatever pills the doctor gave him. No NyQuil. He, all he had, his only option, his, his only option was that God would calm his heart so that he would sleep. And God gave him sleep. He even says it, like, and I woke up again, which is amazing. I, I could have died in my sleep. Someone could have killed me. I woke up again for the Lord sustained me. Listen, he just said, listen, he, he's talking about this thing. He's rehearsing it. And he's saying, dude, it was rough and it was tense. But then I shifted my focus to who God is. And you know what he did? He, he sustained me and he gave me sleep and rest. Look what else it gives him. Now he's not just, he didn't get sleep. Now David, who got sleep and probably some coffee too, I don't know, verse six, look at what he does here. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Like this is not the dude that was like, I don't know. Like, God, this is really tense. Everyone wants to kill me. I deserve it. I'm bad. You're not gonna say me. You don't like me anymore. Now look at the shift after David is trusted in who God is and remember what God has done. He's saying, listen, they can bring it right now. I'm not afraid. I'm not scared. I don't care how many people surround me. Do you know why? Like he's not minimizing the problem. He's not pretending like it's not a big deal. He's saying, listen, because I have utmost confidence in God that he will do what's right and that he's strong enough to handle this. And that's huge. Like what ends up happening in the middle of troubles when you focus your heart and mind on who God is and what he's done is you get rest and you get this crazy confidence. Not in yourself, but in who God is. Now listen, I don't know that David knew it was going to turn out all right. I don't believe that what David is saying is here, I knew I was going to win. I believe what David was saying is it doesn't matter what happens. If I win or if I lose, God is good and he's strong and he will always do what's right. It's this confidence. It's going to be okay because he's still on the throne and he's in charge he always protects me. He's always a shield. He's always been faithful. And he's not going to mess up now. Listen, faith in God gives you this confidence and fearlessness. Man, here's what I love about this. Uh, I have no idea what COVID is going to look like in our world in the next three months. None percent idea, which isn't even a percentage. I have zero percent idea what's going to happen. And neither do you. We can guess all the, all the theories. We don't even really understand what's going to happen with inaugurations and presidential elections right now. Like, think about, uh, can we travel for Christmas or not? Is the pandemic coming in for Tallahassee and it's going to swarm to this catastrophic level or is it all a big scam? Man, either way, as your anxiety ramps up or your anger ramps up, whichever emotion you're feeling, there's this calm that can happen. You turn your attention to who God is and what he's done. There's this rest and this fearlessness. And David says this as he, he wraps it up in verse 7. 
Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. And he says, listen, so he turns into this prayer, God, I need you to help. I need you to get up. I need you to save me. And then he says this, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. That's a, that's a really weird phrase. You break the teeth of the wicked. Let me read you a couple verses to help you understand what this is about. Psalm 58, 6, same phrase, says this, O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Ooh. Listen, do you know how to pray like that? That does not sound like something we really pray before church very often or before the meal. Like, God, thank you for this food. Pray you bust through our bodies. And for all those lions, I pray you would literally bust them in the mouth so their teeth are broken. That's how I teach my kids to pray at night before they go to sleep. Or Job 29, 17 says this. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. Here, here's the picture that he's saying. The picture is like a young lion that just got a lamb in its mouth. And what do you think that lamb feels at that moment? All the fear as that lion was running up on it, and the lion got closer. There's no escape. The lion gets the lamb in its mouth. He's like, it's done. It's over. I'm dinner or a light snack, depending on your size, Right? This lion's got me. I've got no defense. I'm not squiggling out of this one. It's got me in its teeth. And all of a sudden, the lamb hears this whoosh and then a crack. As the shepherd shows up with a stick, I don't know what kind of step shepherd's going to fight a lion with a stick, but this shepherd fights a lion with a stick because it's all he needs. And he smacks that lion in the mouth and it drops that lamb. It's still got the blood. It's still got the scars. It's not dead. And it keeps hearing whack after whack after whack until that lion tucks tail and runs. And all that's around that sheep is a bunch of broken lion teeth. And then the shepherd comes and picks up that lamb and takes it and wraps its wounds and takes it back to safety. Listen, that's, that's the picture. David's saying, listen, this is what God is like. Yeah, it doesn't mean the lion doesn't get close. It means that sometimes the lion gets me in its mouth. But when he swings that stick, dude, you don't want to be that lion because your teeth are done, bro. <laughs> like, I, I think, think, I think about this. Think about the things that you feel are coming for you right now. Some of you feel like it's actually got its teeth around your throat. I want you to remember that God is like a good shepherd that when he decides to swing that stick, it may be at the last moment, you still may get scars, it still may hurt, but he can knock the teeth out of that lion at any moment that he wants to. And that's strong. Here's what else I want you to know about this. This isn't this clean, pristine thing. David's talking about his son, Absalom, that was killed when that shepherd struck the lion in the mouth. Because in that moment that David was praying this, it was about his son, Absalom. Because I want you to hear that sometimes when God saves you, it may still really, really hurt. Think, think about that. If you know the story of David and Absalom, when Absalom was killed in battle, David's response was not to dance and jump for joy and say, man, you were a good shepherd. You knocked the teeth right out of that lion. His response is, my son, and my son, Absalom, is dead. And I wish it was me instead of him, my son. That was David's response when the shepherd smacked the lion in the mouth. 
Why is that important for you to know? Listen, when I tell you that it is gritty and emotional and difficult and hard, you get into the Psalms, you don't need to picture this pristine, you only feel one thing, emotion that's happening. David is feeling all sorts of emotions as he feels this tension. As God gives deliverance, he feels happiness and he feels deep, deep grief and mourning because it was costly. He feels the wounds of the lion's teeth in his shoulder and he feels the grief as his son who was the lion is dead. Listen, I don't want you to hear that God saving you will be pain-free. I want you to hear that he'll save you and he'll protect you and it'll be worth it. Listen, in the end, David says this in verse eight, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Here's the point of the whole thing. You want to get saved? There's only one person who can do it, God. And he's a person that will do what's right for his people. He wants to bless you. He wants to protect you. But that does not mean it's going to be easy or pain-free. So whatever anxiety you're facing today or struggles, get your eyes off of the situation and focus on who God is and what he's done and know this. He'll save you. He's the only one that can save you. And he'll bless you. But it might be painful in the process. Would you pray with me? Give you a moment to kind of respond. But I want you to take a moment to think about what what you heard today. For some of you, man, you, I know we're coming off of Thanksgiving, but man, maybe Thanksgiving was a rough time with family. <laughs> Felt like you were among the lions. Or maybe you're feeling anxiety from who knows what in life for you. Listen, would you take a moment right there in the midst of your anxiety and worry and your struggles, would you remind yourself about who God is and what he's done? Take a moment to settle your heart on his character and his past faithfulness. For for some of you, you you don't have any anxiety right now. Things are good. I, I want you to take a moment right there in your seat to rehearse all the faithfulness of God in the past that he saved you. And Would you spend a moment worshiping and praising him for that? Recount some of those past victories and just worship him. For, for others of you here, and, and I don't know where everyone's at, but for some of you, that, that all sounds good and fine, but you're not actually one of his children yet. You, you know about God, maybe you've been religious and been at church, or maybe you haven't, I don't know. But... But when it says that salvation belongs to God, I want to make sure you hear really clearly for every person that's in this room that, listen, for some of you, you haven't been saved yet. And I want you to do that. It's not that you have to perform or be good. It's not that you got to show up at church. It's simply that Jesus came and died on the cross. And when he died on that cross, he took the punishment for all of my sin and rebellion and brokenness and dysfunction, all of it. And he... He offers this thing. He came back to life three days later and he offers this thing where he says, listen, if you will just place your trust in me and ask me to save you, if you'll believe that I died on the cross and came back to life, you just trust in that and ask me to save you, then I'll come and I'll make you my child. I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you access to me and I will become your shepherd. 
Man, if you've never done that, I would encourage you right there in your seat. Would you just ask him to save you? If you speak with the pastor, we'll be available at the end of the service. We'd love to speak to you about that as well. But wherever you're at today, I pray that when anxiety comes, you would get your eyes on who God is and what he has done and let him give you rest. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, it's really easy. We, we, we find it really easy to take things into our own hands that we actually can't change the outcome of. God, we've got worries and pressures and stress and guilt and accusations, all sorts of things piling up. But God, we look to you and say, God, you alone are strong enough. You're the only one that can save us. God, you're the only one that is truly kind and merciful to us. So we look to you. And God, I pray we'd be a people that would have crazy fearlessness, just radical fearlessness. God, I pray we'd have just shocking rest in the midst of trials, not because we're apathetic, but because we really, really trust in you. God, because we really remember the times that you were faithful and you showed up. God, make us people like that. And I pray it all in Jesus' name.